So we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here doing, doing that uh, in the courtyard if it hadn't been for the desert phenomenon, the desert tradition, and the many men and women who went out into the desert and then transmitted what they learnt, what they had been given. And uh, the church, as we know it, Western society as we know it, wouldn't have been the same without it. Uh, the pure desert wisdom uh, got to the far edges of Ireland, to the coast of Kerry, and uh, Skellig Michael uh, within, a, within a generation. So, uh, and Celtic Irish monasticism was probably much closer in spirit and style to the desert form than uh, even Benedictine life became. But anyway, so this phenomenal uh, wisdom that grew up uh, in this uh, spontaneous and unstructured way, or I wouldn't say not completely unstructured, but when we think of monastic life and rules and regulations and church institutions, it was certainly unstructured. It was a spiritual powerhouse set up through human relationships, not through institutions. And it was set up in the huge, what they call the huge silence and the great quiet of the desert, like Monte Oliveto. Places of silence are very important for this reason. Times of silence are very important for this reason. times of silence of our daily meditation, the times of silence that we benefit from when we make a retreat. Bonveau, our new centre in France, which we'll be talking about a little later, bring you up to date on, uh, that's part of this surge, this part of this continuous uh, reinvention, rediscovery, and retransmission of the same wisdom. We need places like Monte Oliveto, places like Bonbeau, to remind the world of this therapeutic wisdom, of the primary value of silence in human persons and in human society. Meditation groups and centers and times of personal practice are small manifestations of this universal desert. But places that are committed to it, physically committed to it, that's why we take a break from the words to re- enter our physical universe, places that are physically committed to it and protect it and value it, where it can also be shared with whoever comes, those are all also vitally necessary. They're even more vitally necessary because of the noise 
of modern life. The opposite of silence is noise, not sound. What are the noises that we, we as urban dwellers and most people in the world now live in cities? What are the noises that we take for granted? Somebody gave me uh, one, uh, a pair of noise-cancelling headphones, which I use on, on, uh, on long plane journeys, if I remember to take them. Uh, and it's quite astonishing how noisy the inside of a plane is. And you know it when, when you turn on this noise-cancelling system. But we get used to noise. We live with it. It's part of what it is to be a sophisticated urban professional. Traffic, planes, construction work, music in elevators, and in restaurants, louder and louder. I thought I was becoming a, a, a grumpy customer as I found myself asking them to turn down the music in restaurants, but then I discovered that everybody who I'm with says the same thing. Uh, the noise of a fridge, you know, even at home when you're meditating in a quiet space in your own home, uh, there's the constant noise of the fridge or the, even the TV, you know, when it's on, what's it called? when it's dormant, it's on standby, and it clicks back in. Or the noise of inconsiderate neighbors having a barbecue right under your window uh, until one o'clock in the morning, just not aware, not considerate. Part of the noise is their lack of consideration. Uh, TV and radio and so on and so on, all the noise that we have created that damages our hearing. Uh, oh, leaf blowers. There's a, there's a worldwide movement to ban leaf blowers. If you'd like to join it, you can sign up. Uh, so it damages your hearing. It leads to uh, disrupted uh, sleep patterns, aggressivity, I think part of the reason people tend to be much more uh, reactive in cities than in the country or in a small market town uh, is, is because of the, the, the unconscious uh, impact of noise, stress, hypertension, blood pressure, the difficulties of communicating, even talking with somebody in a restaurant or in a public space. Everything that we, we lump together under the word nuisance. City life is, is average city life can go, get up to 20, 70 decibels. And 70 decibels is the sound of a loud vacuum cleaner at close range. So imagine you're, you know, you're working at your desk and somebody's walking around the room with a a vacuum cleaner, that's, that, that can be what city life is like just out in the street. We've got used to it, but we never get used to it. And when silence is lost, when that capacity for 
interiority is so badly damaged when we can no longer listen to silence, then I think it isn't long before we begin to break down. And those relationships that I said constitute the wisdom of the desert and the transmission of wisdom in the desert, those natural human relationships become disrupted, damaged, or even violently broken. Mindless violence, drive-by shootings, you know, uh, gangs, gang attacks and so on, become more and more characteristic, and I think you could put terror, most, most terrorists, uh, certainly in the West, seem to be, have been brought up in, uh, in these sort of environments as well. So, all things considered, the noise of modern life that damages the uh, continuum of silence and the medium of silence which we need to live well, that's something that we need to be very conscious of. It's all the more reason why we should teach meditation to children. And it's all the more reason we are teaching it <coughs> to uh, doctors and uh, business people and even, although they are the most difficult, politicians. When we arrive in a silent place, we become aware of natural sounds that occur in the silence, but don't disrupt it. Let's just listen to these sounds for a moment. So I don't, think any, I don't think we would say, oh, it's so noisy here. You, anybody said that yet? These are natural sounds. Natural sounds are not noisy. They're sounds. But they're sounds that occur in the silence, and they even express the silence. They can make us aware of the silence. Birdsong, insects, wind, people's movements when they are not being inconsiderate. An inconsiderate noise from someone is noisy. But a natural noise that somebody just has to do, but they do it, they make it with consideration for the people around them, is a sound, it's not noise. But as soon as we come into a natural silence, as we do here, and that's why we need places like this that are protected and that protect what it means to be human, it's not that this is a luxury place, you know, business class spirituality. It, it's, it's not that. And that's why you need... A monastery is very different from a five-star spa or a five-star resort. 
very different concept altogether. Um, so we need places that are accessible, egalitarian, open to all, where those who need it can be given help to get there. That's why we have our setting up our scholarship fund for Bombo. Because these are the real places, these are the real deserts that the world needs urgently, I think, today. But when we come into places of silence like this, we also discover how much inner noise we have and how much after noise we carry with us. We've all come from very noisy urban environments, most of us. Or we've come through them anyway to get here. And we're familiar with them. So familiar that we may not even realize the harm that they're doing and how difficult it makes our times of meditation. What you want to be like at the time of meditation, aim to be like before the meditation. And much of that noise is just sort of carried over. We've, we've accumulated it and it's, it's kind of, it's in automatic, continuous feedback in the noise chambers of our, of our minds. It takes time then for that noise to play itself out, for the mind to become quieter, for us to be able to learn to listen and we can't blame the traffic, or planes, or music, or noisy neighbors for this kind of inner noise. That's why we come into the desert, so that we stop blaming other people. You can't blame anybody else in the desert. You have to look after yourself. You have to take responsibility for yourself. But that's precisely what creates community and friendship at a mature level. We have to do the work ourselves, but we help each other to do it. But this noisy world that we have been produced, we have been conditioned by, has become habitual. And so we always reach out habitually, addictively, compulsively for more sense impressions. We want more noise. We want to keep, actually, we, we, we do and we don't, we want to keep this level of noise maintained in our minds because that's what we've got used to. We also say, oh, I'm really looking forward to being in, on retreat this week. But as soon as we begin to feel that the mind, and, and it will fairly quickly, begin to shed some of that surfeit of noise, that, that excessive absorption of noise, 
then we may also go through a period where we look for more noise to fill it up, because that's what we've got used to. I met a New Yorker once who said uh, she could only, she said she, she, just, she couldn't sleep at night uh, somewhere in the country in Vermont or somewhere where she was. She said it was just too quiet. So she said she had to keep the radio on in her room uh, to help her go to, go to sleep. She just got so used to the noise. So we, re we reach out unconsciously often for more sense impressions and stimulation to consume and to keep our level of noise uh, at a constant high factor. We are afraid to come home to ourselves. So that's, that's a fairly natural reaction. It can be more extreme in some people than in others, but I think we all face it to some degree or other until we become familiar with places of silence. When we become familiar with them, we know that we will go through this short period of adaptation, the first day or two maybe of a, a retreat, and you you're experienced enough just to, to go through it and, and to restrain that natural compulsive <coughs> uh, reaction to keep the noise level high. This is what St. Augustine said, writing about the same time, but in a different, uh, about the same time as the desert. Uh, tradition as, as the desert uh, fathers and mothers were operating. He says, go back to your heart and if you are believers, you will find Christ there. He himself speaking to you there in silence. Go back to your heart. One of the things that noise does is that it makes the mind so noisy that it blocks out the very consciousness that we have a heart. That's why cities so easily become heartless places. Intolerant, impersonal, anonymous places. So go back to your heart is the first reason for being silent. And if you are believers, you will find Christ there. Very beautiful, simple little statement from one believer to another. And you will find Christ there speaking to you in silence. Not creating more noise, not sending you messages, not giving you mental stimulation, so not visions or locutions or experiences as we normally think of them, so not that kind of religious noise, but speaking in silence. What does it mean 
to speak in silence. It's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? To speak in silence. But when the, the, it gives us the insight we need to go a little further in understanding what silence is. The first thing we discover, of course, when we start to meditate is that silence is not negative. It's not the absence of noise. The absence of noise simply opens us to the pre-existing reality of silence, makes us aware of what is already there. And then the great fun starts. The fun is discovering what that silence is, what it is communicating. Let's just end with these uh, words from Father John that we heard this morning, or this, uh, this afternoon, I think. The quality that every one of us needs urgently is silence. We simply must learn how to be silent and how to remain in silence. Well, that's why we've come for seven days, to remain, not just to be silent for an hour or two, but to remain in silence. Once you enter that silence, opening your heart to that unpredictable and incomparable experience, so we don't know what it's going to be like, and there's nothing to compare it with. It's sui generis, it's, it's one of a kind. So as soon as we open our heart to this experience, we will find that each of us can only be the person we are called to be. You come home to yourself. You realize you can't be the successful son or daughter or business person or wife that you may think you ought to be or that the world thinks you ought to be. But there's only one person you can be, and that is who you are. If we allow that silence to develop, to grow, to deepen. So any, the silence is a living entity. And part of something alive is that it grows, it develops. So the silence becomes more silent, not less. In fact, it will never reach its maximum limit. Make no mistake about it. This silence that each of us is summoned to enter so this is, a, this is an attraction, this is a call, this is something pulling us. You don't have to reply. You could have gone to a spa for the week. You could um, 
but if it, but it is calling us it's attractive it's it's god flirts with us but it's not just a casual flirting it's a seduction really and we have to we have to entertain it and find the point of acceptance so it's summoning us is the eternal silence of god eternal meaning boundless no boundaries this is the silence that each of us can find in our own hearts that's the heart of you know the, of john mains spiritual wisdom really and his passion is his knowledge and conviction that all of this is already within us it's much more simple and immediate than we imagine and we don't need a lot of equipment or a lot of books just enough so that Susan doesn't have to take them all back with her next week we don't need a lot of stuff to uh discover this it's simple and immediate discovering it will lead you to understand that silence is itself the medium of perfect communication perfect communication what is perfect communication perfect communication is where you don't need to you don't need to explain you don't need to define you don't need to make sure the other person got it and you don't feel suddenly insecure perfect communication is where there is absolute uh knowledge certainty that you have been understood it is in silence that we communicate at depth so this communication is at a depth deeper than words and we communicate with the truth of wholeness it is in silence that we communicate at depth so deeper than words and with the truth of wholeness so it's that wholeness in ourselves simply being who you are not playing any roles and not judging yourself because you seem to have fallen short of what your goals and objectives were or what other people felt you should have achieved by this time in your life so when all of that has been shed and what you find is who you are your true self that is wholeness and having got there you realize that the way there was healing that was the meaning of healing and a lot got healed in the process it is in silence 
that we communicate at depth and with the truth of wholeness. <laughs>